We want to study contentment tonight. Why were there men like the Apostle Paul that seemed to be happy most of the time in spite of, in spite of having the most miserable lives? Can we be happy no matter what we have, or should we be waiting to get something else that will make us happy? We want to be contented because the Bible tells us to be content. Contentment, to be satisfied. Are you satisfied tonight with your life and with the circumstances and things of it? Contentment means to be satisfied. It means desiring nothing more or nothing different. It means to limit one's desires, to limit your desires of what you think you need and what you want and be willing to put up with something, to be contented, to put up with what you have, to limit your desires so that you're not obsessed and irritated with wanting more and to be satisfied with what you have. That's what the Bible means to be contented. The opposite of contentment in the Bible is covetousness. That's wanting something you don't have, an inordinate desire for something you don't have to where it eats at you, bothers you, and makes you frustrated with life. And so we want to look at the positive side of contentment. We want to hate covetousness because it's like idolatry. In fact, the Bible says it is idolatry. Right. Because to covet something to have an inordinate desire for something so that your life is not at rest means that God himself, his son Jesus Christ, and salvation is not enough for you. That's why it's called idolatry. For you to be worked up about something not going the way that you think that it should, for you to be discontent with your life is to be discontent with God because he is our portion in this world. And so if you are set on getting something else, you're saying to him, you're not enough to make me happy. And that is a horrible thing, and God calls it idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 5 and Colossians 3.5 both say that covetousness is idolatry because you've elevated something above God. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, this is a secret from the word of God on how to be happy no matter what. How to be happy no matter where. Hebrews chapter 13, let's look at it commanded in the Bible. Verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. And that doesn't mean that you go around talking about wanting things. Because the word conversation here means let your manner of life, right. let your lifestyle, let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Right. Now there's a lot in that verse, we're gonna come back to that verse, but what we wanna notice right now is contentment is a commandment. Contentment. You're happy and satisfied with your set of circumstances. Now that's not an absolute statement, and I'll qualify it in a minute, but overall you are. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I sure hope that after the last four years, you can all remember this little statement of Scripture in 1 Timothy 6, 6, where God commands us to be content. And here he tacks on a little reward to it and a little, a little positive encouragement for us to be contented. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that's a short sentence but that's why I call it a secret. People, everybody wants a secret to how to happy, have a happy life. You ask people, you say, what do you want out of life? I just want to be happy. I just want to be successful. Well, here's the answer. Godliness, which I preach most of the time, which I preach this morning, which is in most of the Proverbs, plus contentment equals success. Right. That you will be happy and God will bless you. It is, it is a simple little statement, but it is profound in all of its implications for our lives. Holy living in the fear of the Lord, walking in his ways, plus being content with the set of circumstances he's given you equals a successful, happy life. Do you know right now you can choose to be happy? Every single person in here can choose to be happy right now. Happiness is a choice. Happiness is not a force, and it's not an event 
Some of you, I'm going to get you in a minute, you're event-oriented people. Happiness isn't things. Some of you are things people. Happiness isn't details all working your way. Some of, you are, some of us are detail people. Happiness is a choice. So we can choose to be content right now, resulting in happiness with what God has given us. Choosing to think that it is delightful the way things are right now. Choosing to believe that. The Apostle Paul could do it. Now he said right here, godliness, which is that living in the fear of the Lord, plus this choice to be happy with what you have equals success. What if there's a man on that treadmill of life, you remember my illustration about the treadmill? Running faster and faster and faster, and pretty soon you're spit off into hell the day you die? They're on that treadmill for life. Is that a happy existence? No way. He never gets to where he really wants to go. He makes a little more money, and as soon as he does that, ah, he sees a new car that he can't quite afford in the present salary, and so he needs to make a little more. As soon as he gets that car, he needs a bigger house. He's never, can, he's never happy. And yet you look at him and you say, look at the, look at the size of that house. Look at that six-car garage. Now, they make six-car garages now. They're on Roper Mountain Road. Drive down Roper Mountain Road and take the average number of stalls in the garages on those new big houses that have been built on Roper Mountain Road. It averages four plus, and there's a couple with six. Okay, here's a guy. You look at and you say, behind each door there's a car? There may be. And so we got a big house. we got a car behind each door. You know, he doesn't know what to do in the morning. Which, which door do I approach? But he's not happy. And then we drive down the road a little bit further in that favorite house of mine, which was eventually hauled away because it was an unsightly thing. A little 400 square foot frame little house. I remember taking my daughter through that in a little tour. You know, four little tiny rooms in a, in a little 400 square foot house. A little tiny room and realizing... You can be happy right in here. You do not need more than this. That was, and we ought to learn that lesson. Because happiness is a choice. Do you know, do you know that two people in there could love each other? Right. right. Two people in there could love each other? Two people in there could have peace. Two people in there could shave a two, sh share a tube of crackers and have a wonderful evening. And yet that great big house, there's bitterness, there's strife, there's a lack of love, and there's constant discontent because they haven't achieved what they really wanted to achieve. Brethren, this is a secret little recipe for life. And every one of us makes the choice every day to be content with where we work, where we go, who we're married to, what our kids are like, what our face looks like in the mirror, and all of those things that we cannot change that God's dealt to us. We are choose to be content with them and do the best with those things and enjoy every one of them. It's a choice. It's a, little, it's a little secret of God's word and how to have a successful life. Notice it doesn't say in here you've got to be beautiful, got to be rich, got to be smart, got to be strong, got to be fast, got to be a hard worker, got to have the right opportunities. Do you realize none of that's in here? You can walk, everybody, every one of us can walk out of here tonight happy and successful. Right. Choosing to live a godly life and choosing to be content with the things that we have. And if you don't make this choice, you will never be happy. There is no one and there is no thing that can make a child of God happy in this life but godliness and the choice to be content with what he's given. Right. You will not be happy. Yeah. I hope that some of you are reaching the place where you like to laugh at people who think they are going to find happiness in something else because you've learned. Every year that we get older, we realize, uh-uh. It's all in walking with the Lord and him being with us that brings us our happiness. Right. And we can be happy with nothing. When my wife and I, I were married, we had nothing. We didn't, know we, had, we didn't know we didn't have anything. You know, on Friday nights, we had never even crossed our minds. We had never even crossed our minds about going out on a Friday night. We didn't know that Friday nights were for going out because we'd never been able to go out, and we didn't know how to go out. We didn't know where to go out. We went grocery shopping on Friday nights. My wife and I would go spend our $17 in a grocery store together doing our shopping together. But we were content with that. We were happy with that. That was a great event. Now, how could a dumb couple be happy spending $17 in a grocery store for a week's groceries? You know, my children just look at me with this blank look like, 
How in the world could you be happy on $17? Well, in that $17, there was always room for a can of fruit cocktail. And when the special occasion called for it sometime during that week, we'd peel the top off that can of fruit cocktail and to pour half of that into my bowl and half of it into her bowl and sit there and enjoy that sweet, luxurious fruit cocktail made by the Dole Canning Company. You know, the leftovers of all their good fruit that they gave to the rich people, they dumped some little poor pieces into a tin can for Sherry and me. We were happy. Very happy. We didn't know we were missing anything. Do you know what proverb we were fulfilling? To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Do you remember that in the last week or two? The full soul loatheth the honeycomb. These full souls in the houses that I just described, they can go to the pepper mill, drop 250 bucks for a meal, for a couple, and walk out and be totally unhappy and think of it as a non-event and be irritated with each other. Brethren, this is a secret to life. Choose to be happy. I know all of you could tell me tell those stories. I never thought that I'd reach a day where I was telling old stories about the old times and a can of fruit cocktail or something as ridiculous as that. I thought that was my parents' job to tell me what they did when they got married. I believe they lived in a trailer that was close to eight foot wide by 32 feet long, 29 feet long. I'm sorry for exaggerating the size of that living area that you had. Now eight times 29 is 232 square feet. I expect that in a bathroom now. The world does. Do you know, I don't have it in the bathroom. But I mean, 232 square feet is nothing. But they lived in that and they were happy. Right. What, what happens to us? America gets us on this treadmill to where we're looking for things or advancement or something to make us happy, and it never makes us happy because happiness is a choice. It does not matter what you have or where you are or who you're with, if you choose to be happy with that person doing the things that you have to do. This godliness with contentment is great gain. That is a wonderful statement, and everything in it is something that you choose to do. You choose to be godly, and you choose to be contented. And the combination of those two choices is success. Look at the next verse, the reasoning for it. And having food in uh, verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We got here with nothing, and we're not taking anything with us, so why not be happy with nothing? Nothing's not all that bad. Can you think of some advantages of nothing? There's nothing to worry about. Every time you get something, there's something to worry about because that something can break. Now, I hate things breaking. I gave, away that, I gave that away this morning when you saw my face about the Internet shutting down on me for 24 hours. And see, then it comes back on all of its own. Oh, that really irritates me. This morning it was back on. For it to go off for 24 hours on its own and come back on just drives me crazy. I want to reach inside. Okay, we'll just leave that there. Things. But everybody wants things. That guy with his cars in the garage, he's got to pay insurance on them. They're rusting every day. He's wondering, when was the last time I went out there? and turn the engine over in my rolls. Because if I don't turn the engine over, it's going to rust in there. It's not going to get oil up on all of the bearings. I'm going to have problems. I mean, it's on and on and on it goes. Things do not make us happy. It's a choice to be content, satisfied, and pleased with the things God has already given us. Paul went on to tell Timothy, who was a minister, and I would apply these words first ministerially, but then to everyone else. He said, in having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Timothy, as long as we've got the basics, we don't want to go out in public naked, and we've got to eat to live. As long as we have those basics, we have enough. Right. We have enough. And we ought to be content with those things. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Contentment. It's a blessing. And it's a blessing right there in front of you. And we don't want to reach for it. What keeps us from reaching for it? We're too, we're too proud. I deserve better than that. That is pride. I deserve better than that. And we have all these different excuses. I don't want to be happy. I'd rather be miserable. Self-pity just sounds better to me. I want people to feel sorry for me. If I'm happy, 
then they're not going to come and help me. Perverse reasoning. And right there is happiness for our choice. Two choices, godliness and contentment. 1 Corinthians 10, if we're not happy and content, here's what it leads to. 1 Corinthians 10, 9. This is Paul talking about some of the events in the Old Testament that happened to their fathers. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Remember when God sent the fiery serpents among the Israelites? Because they weren't content with their situation. Verse 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. I preached on murmuring a few months ago. If you're not content, you're going to murmur. You'll murmur in your heart. You'll murmur in your thoughts. You'll murmur in your words. You'll murmur in your body language. And everybody will know that you're unhappy with what you have. Neither murmur ye. This is a commandment of the Lord. We are not to murmur, nor to complain, nor to tempt him by being unhappy with the deck of cards that he has dealt us at a given point in time. We're to be pleased and satisfied with it. And we're to add godliness to it, and that is a successful way of living. This whole world wants us to measure our success by how far you've got ahead in the job, how big your house is, how pretty your wife is, and all sorts of other criteria by which you're to measure whether you're successful or not. And the Bible tells us it's as simple as choosing godliness and choosing to be happy with what we have. We're warned against covetousness, and I'm not going to take you to those verses. I hope you know that the Bible does condemn covetousness. Thou shalt not covet is one of the Ten Commandments. And then it lists a number of things that men are prone to covet. And we're not to covet those things. We don't want them. We choose godliness and to be content with the things God has given us. If he gives us more, we thank him for that. If he gives us more, we thank him for that. If he takes some of it away, we say the Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he falls down and worships. Job did. Listen, Sherry and I were, see, I, I have a little advantage of you. You're hearing it right now. And I've got to review this over the last 24 hours heavily with my family. Sherry and I wouldn't mind going back to that little apartment. Life was really simple back then. That little tiny apartment that we had where we had the fruit cocktail, we were pretty happy. Spending 17 bucks, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of worry about $17. We had our menu fixed out for the whole week. It was pitiful. I won't tell you about all of that. But we didn't know. We didn't care. It was plenty for us. <laughs> I gained weight then like I have ever since. So it must have been good enough. But you know, there's not, not a thing in the world wrong with that. We've always known, we've always agreed between ourselves, and every couple in here should. It doesn't matter where we live, and it doesn't matter what we have. As long as we've got the Lord and each other, who cares? We're going to have a good time. Right. Now, I do have a melancholy disposition that not always is practicing that. But I, tr I want to keep my melancholy disposition practicing that. Right. And that is the conscious choice. We can have a good time. We can be successful. We can be thankful. We can be pleased. We can be satisfied no matter what we have just by the sh sheer choice. If every time you get in your car, you're thinking, I wish I had a better car. I wish I had a better car. I wish I had a better car. You're discontented. You're unthankful. You're murmuring, and God can't stand it. Be thankful for that car. Right. Does it still get you from A to, a to B? If it doesn't get you from A to B, you can still be thankful that it did get you from A to B before it quit on you. Now, that's less thanksgiving than if it's still able to get you there, but I hope you know what I mean. It's not the things. It's the choice of your attitude about the things. What is contentment? Is the glass half full or half empty? Is the glass half full or half empty? How do you look at things? Do you still have half left, or are you worried about what's gone, what you don't have anymore? Some people say it that way. It's an attitude about what you have, ignoring what you don't have. Who cares what you don't have? Who cares if half the glass is empty? You still have half the glass. Don't worry about what you don't have. Be thankful for what you do have. Right. And it's just a choice. And every time can be a good time. The Lord is giving us a key to living successfully. It's in his precious word, and I'm thankful to him for it. Amen. It's a choice to be happy and content. You foolishly sin 
by choosing to fret and be sad about things. If something doesn't turn out just the way you want it to, and you're going to fret about it. Well, my life is just miserable. Oh, you know, Sherry will say, well, well, what's happened this time? You know, did a leaf fall from the tree the wrong way or something? I will expose myself a little bit to all of you. I get, I get to help her, though, at times, too. So don't you think that it's just a one-way street with my wife and me. Little, little I'm going to I'm gonna get to some of our problems. Little details do bother me. But see, I, I want to teach me tonight while I'm teaching you tonight. Forget the details. Right. Be thankful for what's happened. We can't, there's only one being that can control all the details. Right. It's the Lord God. Amen. And if he gives me a deck some night with two cards missing, two of the 52 details have not gone the way I wanted them to, he made the choice because he wants to see if I can be thankful with him and with 50 cards that were in place. And isn't that wicked when I get upset about the two, ignore the 50 and ignore him? Is that wicked? Yeah, I know it's easy for you all to sit there and nod your heads yes, that I'm wicked when I do that, but I hope you're applying it all to yourselves as well. It's pitiful. Have you ever watched children open presents? It's the perfect example of discontentment, greed, and covetousness. Children are able to reach their big wide arms out at the table where we have covetousness, greed, and discontentment, and they're able to envelop the whole thing and just embrace it when you give them presents. Is, have you know what I'm talking about? They're just waiting. They're just antsy to get to that birthday party when you're going to give them their presents. And as soon as they get those presents, they rip the first one off, and they take one second to grasp what it is and chuck it aside and go to the next one. Now listen, if you think that's cute, you have a black thing in here. That isn't cute. That's wicked. And that's something we ought to correct our children from, think, from acting that way. Right. You've never seen a child carefully take the paper off a young child and look at it and say, that is really not ignoring all of their presents. I think I'm just going to go over here and play with this. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for buying me this. Thank you so much for thinking about me that you bought me this. That is not what the natural child does, because they are set upon by the devil and the depraved spirit they have from our first parents to be discontent with all the trees of the garden because they got to have the one that they were told wasn't for them. And so they chuck it aside and go to the next one and rip it off that and throw it away. And you know, when you come back an hour later, they've broken all the toys. That's the general tendency of children. And that's the general tendency of all of us because it, it comes from the nature that is within us. Greed and covetousness rather than contentment of, I'm happy with this present. You have some more to open, Johnny. Johnny, there's some more presents. That you, don't you want to open? The, I'm content with this. Johnny never did that at home. Johnny never did that. But we ought to be looking at life that way as the Lord hands out presents every single day to us. Right. How, have we had some decent weather in the last three weeks? Amen. Wonderful days. The skies as blue as could be. The temperatures as wonderful as could be. The humidity. When you step outside, do you get the thought, there isn't a thing wrong in my life? That's what you ought to be thinking. There isn't a thing wrong in my life. I know you, Lord, and I know you sent this. I can feel it all over me. You're wonderful. You have blessed me so much just from that little bit of sunshine. Are you able to talk that way to him? Or are you so busy on the treadmill that you didn't notice that the lights had come on? It's a pity. And so we go through life frustrated, frustrated. And when we're frustrated... He is displeased with our lives, and we will suffer for it because that is not success and that is not pleasing him because we're too caught up in this rat race to appreciate all the good things he has sent. Discontentment's a horrible sin. It implies God isn't enough for you. That's why it, covetousness is called idolatry. You've made something more important than God himself so that you're not happy unless you have that thing or are thinking about that thing instead of just being happy with the Lord and what he's given you. It becomes idolatry. It's a horror. I mean, to think that something in my life could be idolatry is horrible. You'd never catch me with a statue out back, lighting candles to it or offering one of my children to it. You're not going to catch me doing that, but you can catch me at times in my life coveting something that I didn't have. But the Bible calls it idolatry. Contentment doesn't mean 
that there's not a better something or other out there. Contentment doesn't mean that there isn't a better house than the one you're in. Contentment doesn't mean that there isn't, aren't prettier wives than the one you're married to. Contentment doesn't mean that. Contentment means you've just decided that you're happy, content, and satisfied with the house and wife that you have, regardless of what's out there. Amen. So don't play games by, think, by, by going down the wrong road, thinking you're going to convince yourself, well, I've got the best house, and you walk around saying, yes, I did this with three-quarter-inch plywood, and all the houses today are being built with half-inch, and try to convince yourself that your house is greater. No doesn't matter there's always something better and that's the problem with covetousness because once you get something you want something else there's always something better in this world and the devil will let you know about it if you set your affection on things you choose to be content happy and satisfied with the one you want every husband in here do you remember the verse from Proverbs 519 about your wives okay you're to be satisfied with her at all times contentment doesn't complain or murmur against what God has done. And that's most of your life. You know, most of your life is what God's given you. You know, we, we have very little effect on the circumstances of life. Very little. If you really boil it down, God is in control of most of them. Have you ever thought about the cars that you're speeding by every night? Do you think it's because the DMV of South Carolina is a very efficient organization that only puts on the road highly skilled drivers with acute vision and quick reflexes and the ability to read English signs? <laughs> Do you think that's why you're safe on the road? Sir, listen, I go into DMV and I get scared being in DMV. Do you know what, does everybody know what I'm... Listen, that's driving. You think your driving is all up to you? It's up to the Lord God that is protecting your vehicle and protecting other vehicles. You're flying down a road and you ever think about the steering mechanism breaking as it connects to your wheels? You know, the Lord keeps those things together for us. We, should be, we have so much to be thankful for and so much to be content and satisfied with. There's no reason for us to be frustrated with our lives. Even in the areas where you are foolish. I, I know how the devil, this is a fiery dart from the devil. Well, what he's talking about up there are acts of God. You know that the predicament you're in is your foolishness. So there's no reason for you to be content because it's your foolishness that got you in the mess. That's out of the hands of God. You're just a loser. You can't be content. Wait a minute. You, you, don't, you don't believe that God is sovereign over our foolish events as well as our wise events? He protects us in our foolish events. And he uses those foolish events. They're all from God, and to bark against them, that doesn't mean we don't repent, and that doesn't mean we don't try to do wiser the next time we face that same situation. But we're thankful in it. We're content in it. We don't fret because the Lord is controlling that. We repent, and we say, Lord, by your grace, I'll work out of this, and I'm happy with where I'm at because it should have been a whole lot worse given my foolishness. You were merciful to me in what you did in that particular event. Covet, contentment does not covet the circumstances that someone else has. That's envy. When you covet what someone else has, that's envy. That's not being contented. I'm explaining contentment right now. Contentment doesn't mean that you're satisfied with less than your best. Children, you don't go to school tomorrow and come home and your mother says, how did you do today? And you say, well, I was contented. And then the teacher calls five minutes later and says that the child was asleep three different times during class. Well, I was contented. No, we do our best. But we don't go crazy in doing our best. We just do our reasonable best and trust the Lord for the rest. That was Psalm 127 from last Sunday. It's vain for you to rise up early to stay up late. You just do your reasonable best and you come home and you're contented because your reasonable best plus the Lord, that equals domination. Do you, did you hear me? Your reasonable best, if you're living a faith-based life, your reasonable best plus the Lord God on your side equals domination. You win, they forfeit, you've got it. You say, but not every Christian wins. I read in the Bible and I see men being persecuted. That's the exception. Those who put their trust in the Lord are going to win materially, spiritually, or both. 
Contentment doesn't mean we don't do our best. It means we do our best for the Lord's sake. And he expects us to do our best. You know, the, a good way of defining contentment is that little serenity prayer that some of you have hanging on your wall. That's a wonderful little statement to put in people's, to put in words what real contentment is. God, grant me the grace to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. That's contentment. God grant me the grace to accept the things I cannot change. The decade, all the circumstances that you've given me, grant me the grace to accept those things. And where you want me to improve things by using the means you've given me, give me the courage to do that. And then give me the wisdom to know the difference. That is a beautiful, if you can really grasp the meat of that little saying, it's not pretty wall decoration. It's profound wisdom for how to approach life. Here's how we destroy contentment. A discontented person is easy to spot. We have them in here. You can look around and see them. They're easy to spot. They're unhappy. They fret. They worry. They're always negative, And they're unthankful. Easy. You know, we can go right through this congregation. All of you can rank the members in here as who's the most contented and peaceful and happy about their lives and who's the least. Because it's visible and it's obvious. Let me say those things again. Discontented people are unhappy. What are you unhappy about? Well, things just aren't going my way. Oh, isn't that horrible? What is your way? Be thankful they're not going your way. Right. <laughs> they're fretting. They're worried. They're negative, And they're unthankful. Let's not have those things in our lives. These people love the word but. Their favorite word is but. No matter what good things have happened to them, no matter where they went, no matter what they did, but this was bad about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But I'm not sorry at all. You're miserable. Enjoy your misery. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose everything. And you've already lost the Lord. Now, I sound really harsh. But listen, brethren, this is not a game. The Lord has blessed us abundantly. We ought to be the most contented, thankful, and happy people of all. Right. Forget buts. There should be ands. When somebody says something to you about a blessing in your life, and I want to tell you about something else he's done for me, and I want to tell you about something else, and I want to tell you this, not, but this didn't work out, but you don't know what's going, but the, oh, you poor thing. Lord, help us. These people love to worry. They can overlook a hundred important things in their life to find one insignificant thing that didn't go their way. And that's what they focus on. Now, what kind of vision is that when you can see through a forest of trees to pick out a little weed in the back of the forest? And that bothers you. Every time you look at the forest, you just see the little weed way behind the trees. What kind of vision is that? That is twisted, perverse vision. Why can't we just look at the trees and be thankful? And I'm not a sanguine. And I'm not talking about being naively optimistic about everything. I'm talking about being content, satisfied, thankful, and happy with what God gives us. Because he told us to be that way. Right. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Let's talk about what destroys contentment. Excessive expectations destroy contentment. Excessive expectations that a particular thing will bring happiness. We, we set our expectations too high. Marriage is going to make me happy. Then when we dive into it and we get there, we find out I'm no happier than I was on, on this side as I was on the other side. There's a few little advantages, but I'm not really happier because you put too much confidence and you're expecting too much out of the marriage. God never intended you to be finally happy in marriage. He intended for you to be finally happy with him with or without marriage. If money is looked to for happiness, excessive expectations of something in this world, you know, God's going to burn everything up in this world. Everything. Right. When you get to heaven, you'll no longer be married. Everything. I'm sorry, Mom. She tells me that that really bothers her. She really loves my father. 
But when we get to heaven, we're not given in marriage. It's going to be different. Everything down here is going to, going to disappear. So what are we setting any of our affection or expectations on it? Our expectation should be heaven. Right. And we'd be always happy because it's coming. And it's going to exceed everything in this world by such a margin that we will be eternally happy. Amen. And I hope you're looking forward to that. If money is looked to for happiness, more will not be enough. For you'll yet want more. And look at this verse. I've mentioned it before. Brother Eric had it on a little sign on his wall in his office. And it's a good little saying. Ecclesiastes 5.10. This is the wisdom of Solomon. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. And I hear, I say, I hear a Bible skeptic. Well, he must not have had enough silver. <laughs> Wrong. This is Solomon. This is Solomon. He had silver and gold until it was like stones in the streets. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. What are the two things we should love? Godliness and contentment, and we'll be happy. But if you love silver, you're putting an excessive expectation on what money can do for you. It can't do enough. There's not enough things you can buy to make yourself happy. Some people in here look, are event-driven. Some are financially driven, and they think that money's going to make them happy, and it doesn't. And the Bible warns us about that danger. The love of money is the root of all evil. Others are event-driven. They want to go out. They want to go on a vacation. They want an event. An event will make them happy. An event is a goal. I can't work. I can't get up and go to work. I have no purpose unless I have a goal out there, a week away, two weeks away, a month away. This goal, this vacation that I'm going to go on, it will make me happy. And so because I have that out in front of me, I can get up every morning because that is my contentment. That makes me happy. I can get up and go to work because of that expectation I have out there. Then that thing comes, and they're always let down. Do you know that our nation, our nation tells us that the suicide statistics in our country are the highest in the two weeks following Christmas? Because all these people build up these enormous expectations, and they get to Christmas, and it never amounts to what they were thinking it would be. And so, to find some real peace, I'll just blow my brains out. You know, life must not have anything to offer me if the best day of the year amounts to nothing. Because all a parent has to do is spend 90 days. You know, does, does the newspaper in Greenville do that? You know, 90 shopping days until Christmas. They did it in Ann Arbor, where I came from. And so these parents are packing away all this stuff, getting the tree out, decorating it. Every little silver icicle is so important to mommy. Every little one. It has to be shimmering in the light just right. And there's thousands of them to put on that tree. Everything is so important. Then they get to that Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. The children just rip the presents in pieces, break half of them, and are moaning and complaining later in the day because they got up so early to find Santa there. And all of a sudden, she realizes, man, this, this rat race just isn't worth it. Where's those pills that I'm only supposed to take one? I'll just take the whole bottle. That's event-driven. It doesn't work. Ah, oh, there's people in here that are event-driven. There's people in here that are we're all We all have our various temptations. There's money-driven. There's event-driven. Event-driven will not make you happy. You know, a child thinks, as soon as I turn 16 and get my license, I'm going to be happy. No, you're not. You're going to want a new set of wheels. As soon as you get that one, it's going to have a mechanical problem. Or you're going to see one with a better color combination, and you're going to want it. Children are fools. That's why the Bible says foolishness is bound in their heart. They're always looking ahead. I can't wait to be 13. For some reason, a child that's 12 years, 11 months, and 29 days thinks that at 13 he's going to be happier. Then he gets to 13, he wants to be 16. As soon as I get to 16, well, I'll be happy when I'm 18 because then I'm an adult and I can do whatever I want. Really? Did your boss say that you could do whatever you want when you turn 18? Did the police say you can do whatever you want when you turn 18? And so they're, they're always, and you know, pretty soon they're saying, I can't wait till I'm 65. And Oh, that's an event that I wasn't looking forward to because life is gone because they were always worrying about getting into the future. Brethren, live for today. Live for today. Don't ever think about, we need a house, we need a baby, we need this, we need that. Live for today. Be thankful for today, what God has given you. That is a successful life, being thankful and happy every day with what God gives us. 
If you think a new spouse is going to make you happy, you're wrong. All spouses that I've ever met had problems and faults. And I don't know of anyone that's ever met one that didn't have faults and problems. So don't look to that to make you happy. Choose to be happy in the Lord. Excessive expectations beyond what is normal or what God gives to men will cause discontentment. What do I mean by that? Let's go about to that detail person. See, they want every detail in life to work out just the way that they thought that it should. And there's so many details and their mind, my mind is so little that it can't control all of them. And my force is so little that I can't get everyone to do everything that I want them to. So I'm frustrated because I put too much, ex, I put excessive expectations on myself and other people. We can't achieve the impossible dream. And so I'm frustrated. And so do you know what? You let things go. You don't, know what the, you don't know what I'm saying. Now, somebody in here does. But uh, for me, just to let things go, I don't like letting things go. But you know what? The more I can let things go, things seem to work out okay without me. And, and I'm pretty happy. In fact, I'm very happy. I don't care. We'll punt. It's an expression from football. You didn't get a first down, we punt. We'll try again next time. And so it's a different attitude about details. They're not always going to be the way you want them, especially when you have multiplied children, grandchildren, and a church, and all these different things going on. Things just don't happen. A schedule can't be maintained perfectly, although I think that it should be. You know, and all that. And so pretty soon you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to float, flow with these punches, and I'm just going to swim upstream the best I can, and I'm thankful for the stream, and I'm thankful for the arms. Lord, help me. I'd rather be in a boat going downstream. But that's not the way it works in this life. And so it's a choice. It's a choice, brethren. We put too much expectation on things going perfectly. If you focus on wisdom, might, or riches, you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be disappointing God. He wants us to glory in the fact that we know him. Amen. Not getting excited about these other things. One of those three things are usually what hang people up. And it causes them to be frustrated all their lives. Pride causes men to give up their contentment because they think too highly of themselves. I deserve better than this. Pride, it's a horrible thing. We don't deserve better. Do you know what we deserve? Hell. What if God gave us what we deserve? Hell. Hell on earth is always better than hell eternal. So no matter how bad it gets on earth, it's still better than what it would be after earth if God sent you to hell. But pride thinks, I deserve better than this. I deserve a better spouse. I deserve better things. I deserve a bigger house. No, you don't. Be thankful for the one you have. What do you want from life? I just want to be happy. Okay? Let's be happy. Choose to be happy. Because that's what the Bible's teaching us that we can do. Contentment doesn't mean that we don't pray for better circumstances. When David's little baby was deathly sick, did he pray for it? Amen. Did God, had God already told him, I'm going to kill it? Right. I'm going to take its life? Did David continue to pray for it? Yes. Do we pray for the things in our lives that we wish were different? Yes. But that doesn't mean we are discontent. We fret against God and get angry about things. He prayed, Lord, if there be mercy left in you for me, please save that little, boy, that little child's life. And it was a little boy. Please save that little child's life. And God decided not to. As soon as he realized that the will of God had been fulfilled, up he, up he came, washed his hands, and said, let's eat. The Lord's made his decision, and I'm content with it. Right. Wow, the death of a child. You mean a saint can be content with the death of a child? Amen. Yes. God gave, and the Lord, take, the Lord took away. Those children were never yours in the first place. They were his. If you've done your reasonable best, be content with your reasonable best. Go to bed and go to sleep. Put them in the Lord's hands. A content man can do that. And that's, that's one of the biggest traumas of life is losing a child like that. And David shows us the example. Brethren, if you have to be discontent, then be con discontent about your spiritual progress. If you want something to covet, then covet the best gifts. The Bible tells you that. If you really want to be irritated with yourself and fretting then fret about your spiritual progress so that you'll make some more. The Bible does allow you that discontentment, but no other. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Maybe I try to illustrate my points too long because now I'm in trouble. 
But I want, you to, I want you to grasp it and realize how practical and personal it is for each one of us to walk out of here and be happy, content, satisfied with each other and with everything we have tonight and to get up and do it again tomorrow morning. Luke 3.14, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers came to John the Baptist because they wanted to repent and be baptized. And they said to him, what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. This is a verse that you go to to prove that, soldier, that Christians can serve in the military. That doesn't mean they want to serve in the military. It means they can serve. Because these Roman soldiers confronted John with, what should we do? And he said, be content with your wages. Because occupying soldiers in a foreign country have a great temptation to take a little extra from the populace of the country that they're occupying. And so John took care of that in one sentence. But the issue here is to be content with wages. They could easily have made more. The people would have gladly given them more with just a little bit of, with just a little show of force outside a home. But John said, no, be content with your wages. Soldiers' wages are always small, very, very small. Be content with them is what John the Baptist said. Oh, what, what are you discontent about tonight? Choose to be contented about it. Choose to be happy with it. Every one of us have burdens, but we can choose to be content in what God has dealt us and be happy within it and trust him to get us through it. In Hebrews 13, 5, it said, Be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. The number one way to be content is to put your affection on Jesus Christ. And if that affection has waned, then through fasting, prayer, singing, reading, confessing, and seeking him, get that relationship with him revived, you can be happy with anything you have if Jesus Christ is first. The Apostle Paul and Silas could sing in prison because they had the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing songs to that effect. Prisons would palaces prove if Jesus was there with me. That was, that's number one for, for learning contentment. I could take you to many more verses. What would Asaph say in Psalm 73 after going through? Lord, forgive me because I looked at the wicked and got envious. He gets all the way to the end and he says, I came into your sanctuary and I was reminded, you are going to wake up someday. He's not really asleep and you're going to crush them and you're going to receive me. Forgive me for talking like a wild animal in my wickedness. I am thank Lord, there is nothing in heaven and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside thee. The Lord gives us contentment. And you know, if you have that one, I could really quit, but there's a few more pointers on gaining contentment. If you have a living, vital, active relationship without sin, staining it or restricting it with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be content because you have him. You can be a loving spouse no matter what your spouse is like. You can be content no matter how small, big, ugly, or whatever your house or any other thing you have is because you've got the Lord. That's all that really matters. The rest of this is just problems. The rest of this is just going to be burned up. Put the Lord first. Number two, learn to trust the sovereignty of God. Amen. What you have in your life is by his choice. You say, uh-uh, it's because of my foolishness. No. He governed your foolishness and kept you within the bounds of where he wanted you. You say, no, it's because of the parents I was given. I was dealt a horrible deck by being given to the set of parents I had. No, God gave you those set of parents. God is in charge. Submit to the sovereignty of God and resign yourself to his will. And you can find contentment in whatever is in your life. Do you know the Bible says, even if you were made without arms, you don't complain against the potter. Because he's the potter and we're the clay. That's Isaiah 45, 9. Now, no one in here has been dealt that severe of a deck. But if you were to look and have no arms, I'm not going to illustrate it, but no arms, you should still be thankful because he's the potter and you're the clay. And he hasn't dealt with us that way. God made us to differ one from another. It's God that did it. It's not them. They're not bad people. They didn't do anything wrong because they have something better. They didn't they're not necessarily covetous and work too hard to get what they've got. God dealt them a different deck. 
God makes us to differ one from another. And so to chafe about that or to resent that is to resent God himself. Contentment comes from the Lord chose me to be five foot nine inches tall. See, let me tell you about one of the little things that bothered me for a long time. It still does if you even ask me one question about it. So don't ask me. Why, am I, why was I sawed off at 5'9"? Why did the Lord do that to me? I wanted to be over six foot. And if I stop and think about it, you know, if I go to, to an amusement park and try to get into some of the rides and they reject me because I'm too short, it bothers me. But God made that choice. And so I talk about that one because between the Lord and me, that's one of my little things. My little, Lord, I'm content. I couldn't handle it being that big. I'm mean enough at this height. Just think if you'd have made me big, I'd really be a troublemaker. You know, so I'm thankful that better spirits than mine are given the bigger bodies. Well, at least in height. The Lord made that choice, and so I submit to it. Really, it comes down to trusting the Lord. We're going to go into such and such a city, continue there a year, buy and sell and get gain. Well, what if you go into that city and you buy and sell, but you don't get gain. You already prayed if the Lord will. Well, what if the Lord doesn't will? You've already submitted the whole thing to the Lord's will, so you're going to be content. Well, the Lord didn't want me to do that one. I guess we got to start over. Now, do you think the Lord can't get you caught up Amen. if you have to start over once? Right. Are there some men in the Bible that had to start over more than once? Mm -hmm. did, David had to, did David have to start over more than once? Did he ever surpass Saul? Did he ever surpass every other kingdom that Israel ever had? Right. Yes. Was he behind all the time? It appeared that way, but the Lord took care of him. So we submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Do most of you drive a few minutes, a few miles per hour over the speed limit, believing that it's a general rule? Okay, good. I hope that you believe that when you look at your watches. Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> Philippians, just, just give me a couple more minutes. Philippians chapter 4, the, this, this is where Paul said, I learned contentment. Right. Contentment is learned behavior. Right. We can learn it tonight, all of us. We can learn contentment. You can be happy with what you have. And God will bless you more if you're content. If you're discontent, wanting more, you have reduced your probabilities of getting more. Right. Be happy with what you have. The, he'll bless that man. Philippians 4.11, the Philippian church was the best giving church of the New Testament. They always took care of Paul. Paul had just been given a gift, so on receiving that gift, he writes them an epistle. He mentions the gift in verse 10, and then he says this in 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. I'm not praising you people for giving because I want more or because I'm bothered by not having anything. This is our example. He said, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. Watch this man. Not that I speak in respect of want. Now listen, did, was Paul short on a few things? Like clothes? Like food? Like money? Like safety? Like respect? Was he short on a few things? He was short on everything. And he says, not that I speak in respect of want. He's a hero of the faith. Amen. But he's going to tell us how he got that way. He learned it from heaven. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned... In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I heard a sermon preached like you're hearing right now and like I'm hearing right now, and I learned no matter what my condition, I could be content in it. I could choose to submit to it and be happy in it just the way that it was. I learned it. And he... Go read 2 Corinthians 11 about the Apostle Paul's life. None of you have met up with what Paul met up with. He was beat, whipped, shipwrecked, naked, in peril of robbers, in perils of the deep, on and on and on. Problems in his life, and he was content. Remember when Luke was ready to give up on the ship in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? At, was it 14 days they hadn't seen the sun? Do you remember that from the, from the book of Acts? Right. Luke, Luke wrote, all hope was lost. Not Paul. Not Paul. You know, a few minutes later, he was saying, be of good cheer, break out the food, let's eat in the middle of a storm. He was different, and he learned it. Look at the next verse, 12. I know both how. See, when you learn something, someone teaches you how to do it. How to do it. I know, that's knowledge. 
It's something you learn. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. When things are really horrible against me and I'm being beat down, I know how to handle that and be happy in that. And when things are going great and the church is just rejoicing that I made it to them and everything seems to be going my way, I can handle that well. I don't get haughty, and in the other one, I don't get in despair. I don't, I'm not destroyed. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed. Right. Instructed, learned, and I know how. Notice he's saying, this is not something I always had. The Lord taught me, and I learned it, and so now I know how. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. When there was lots of stuff and lots of comfort for Paul, he didn't put his trust in it. He just ate a moderate, used it moderately with a disciplined manner, didn't get excited about it, didn't put his expectations on it continuing, and he could walk away from it. He never let it trap him. Remember, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. Even though he was full and had lots of stuff coming in at various points, he would just use a little bit and not get gorged on it. If you read the proverb of 27.7, I believe it was. And then when it was hard times, he didn't get in despair, blame God, or anything like that. Right. He just said, Lord, I know you've got better things planned for me, and if this is what I ought to do for you to give you glory, because I persecuted your church before this, I'll do it in no matter what his circumstances were. And then, brethren, do you know what it says next? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Right. You all know that verse. You've used that verse a hundred times. Now do you see the context of it? To me, that was an exciting little discovery. Look at the context. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Right. If there's anyone in here that says, but, but my circumstances are worse than your circumstances, and I don't think I can do it. You know, I want to go around and look at every single one of you. You can do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and the context is telling you you can choose to be contented, satisfied, and happy no matter what. And that is the strength of Christ with us. Because if we make him our chief desire in life, he will give us the power to be happy with the other things in our lives. That's the context. We shouldn't just throw that around flippantly. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, though it is a general rule as well. But notice where the apostle uses it. And we need his strength to always be happy and contented no matter what. So it's something you learn. And, and I've taught it to you tonight. You've been instructed tonight. You should have learned it. Now you know how to do it. And that's to go out of here and be cheerful. Let some things slide. If you're a detailed person, let the details slide. They're not, nobody cares. Listen, what if you were to die? What if I was to die? Then what would happen to all those details? Do you think the world would go on? Would the sun come up tomorrow? Would my family make it? Maybe more cheerfully. Who knows? Be realistic. Let them slide if you're a detailed person. Don't focus on the events of life. Don't look at things to make you happy. Or your spout. Don't look there first. Look to heaven first and look to the Lord. And he will give you contentment with all those other things. Right. And I'm telling... The Lord, the Lord is good, and the Lord fulfills his word, and I'm telling you the truth. Amen. Grasping God's priorities will help you. Grasping God's priorities. What does the Bible say? Better is a little, and with love there, than treasures and no love. See, if you go and read the word of God, and you find out, wow, I can be having a feast all the time if I get God's priorities right. As long as we have a table where there's love and peace, who cares what's on the plates? That's what the Bible teaches. And see, we worry too much about what's on the plate when what's around the table. And so by grabbing God's priorities, we can realize I can be happy and satisfied and content with very little. In fact, a dry morsel, what else does it say? A bitter herb, you know, a bad salad, and saltines. And I, I, Hey, Saturday mornings in the old days, Saturday mornings in the old days, we'd sleep in a little while. This is in our first couple of years of marriage, and if we got hungry, you know, one of us would bolt for the kitchen and come back with saltine crap. I know it made a mess in bed, but we would have ourselves a little picnic in bed because we didn't want to get up and go anywhere or do anything. And you know what? We were very happy. Now, the Lord in his providence has arranged over the last 20 years of my life 
to drop some very big dollars in some very nice restaurants, and sometimes it was the bank dropping the very big dollars in very nice restaurants. And you know what? If we weren't right with the Lord, we weren't right with each other, we came away having dropped and wasted a whole lot of money being totally miserable because we had thought with that kind of money we should be super happy. And we weren't. We weren't as happy as when we had the saltines to share because of the priorities. There was love there with the saltines and there was bitterness with the filet mignon and two appetizers, wine and all the rest that goes with it. Brethren, it's a choice, and the, and the Lord gives us these priorities. And you know, I, could I preach a series on the priorities of the Bible? Yes, you know how many there are. How often the word better is used in the book of Proverbs. It, it flows from a joyful heart. You can choose to be joyful. The Bible says, he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. A continual festive approach to life by choosing to be merry in your heart. Let's do it for the Lord's sake. Amen. For our sake, right. he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. If a man comes in with a sad sack face, it's because he doesn't have a merry heart. We can choose to be happy and enjoy life every day. The preparation of your heart for contentment is to pray for only convenient things. Remember the wise man in Proverbs, don't give me too much, don't give me too little. Help me find that middle road and I'll be content there. Lord, help me please. And see, that's preparing yourself to be contented. Constant thanksgiving promotes contentment. To list all the things that God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you to see what the Lord hath done. Then you're not discontent. Count your blessings. Instead of counting your disappointments. Count your blessings. Discipline moderation in everything that you use. Use it just appropriately. Go read Proverbs 27.7 on that one. Ignoring things that are matters of liberty. If someone else is doing something that, you, that irritates you a little bit, and it's a matter of liberty, let them have it. Let them have it. It's none of your business. Listen, my children try things that, that I didn't try. They do things a little differently than I did them. So what? I don't care. That's their freedom. That's, what I, that's, a, that's a choice that I made when I let them leave. That's why, therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. There's a family, there's a family, there's a family, there's a family. They all do little things different. So, I just let them go. You know, when they got a boot in the backyard, I'll be there. You can count on it. And I'll be there before that. But all the little things that irritate a detailed person, let them go. These are, these are ways that we can obtain contentment. Ignoring things that are matters of liberty and none of your business can bring contentment. Because as we look around, we all do things a little bit differently. We're all different snowflakes. We look at life differently. We were trained differently. And if they're matters of liberty, they don't matter. That's why they're matters of liberty. That's why God didn't deal with them because he doesn't care. And the person that's always getting worked up about those kind of things is never content. A long-term view, this is my last point, a long-term view that changes everything. Paul said, for the exceeding weight of our eternal glory totally blows away the short affliction for a moment of this world. So if you ever get your eyes on heaven, and it takes work to keep your eyes on heaven, that's why the Bible says, set your affection on things above. Your affection wants to run around down here in all sorts of direction. So we constantly have to regather it and focus it on heaven. And if heaven's coming, burn my body at the stake, take all my goods, leave me destitute, but don't take away my Savior. Right. And we sang that tonight in a couple of those songs. None of it matters. Very quickly, Jesus Christ is first. You have more than heart could wish. Trust the sovereignty of God and what he's given you in your life. God gave you what you have. Be thankful for it and contented with it. By Christ's strength, you can learn to make the choice, just like Paul did in Philippians chapter 4. God's priorities show us that with very little, you can be very happy by putting, by putting your priorities in the same place that God told us to put them. A joyful heart, number five, can have a continual feast by the choice of having a merry heart. And he tells us to rejoice evermore. Preparing your heart for contentment is to ask the Lord for no more or no less 
than by which you could be contented. Convenient food. Constant thanksgiving promotes contentment. Count your blessings. Disciplined use of everything that you have instead of getting too, much, too absorbed with it or using it too much to where you need more to get the same stimulus. If you use something in a disciplined way, honey is always good. If you eat too much, honey becomes loathsome because you've gorged too much. If you use things in a disciplined way, the little bit that you've got can please you. Ignore the things that are matters of liberty that others do. Let them go. Don't be discontent. Let them frustrate you. And a long-term view of heaven will blow it all away. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. May we all be successful by godliness with contentment and being happy with the lives God has given us and choosing to love him and accept what he's given us. Amen. May the Lord bless his word.